This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, it's Chelsea Chadder, and you're listening to the Chelsea Heritage Podcast, dedicated to sharing the rich history of Chelsea Football Club. Each episode, I'll be joined by a guest, and we'll be talking about something from the club's past. Could be a manager, a player, an opposition, a particular season, or just perhaps a topic we think you'd like to hear. So for this episode, we're looking back at the career of Dennis Wise, and my guest today is Chris Castley. Welcome, Chris. Cheers, Adam. Thank you very much. That's right. Thanks for coming on. Um, just for our listeners, I just want to ask you a few questions. First of all, I want to know, uh, how long have you been a Chelsea fan for? Uh, probably, well, I think my first match was around about 1982 or 83. Um, so technically, probably 40 years. But was I aware very much of what was going on? Probably not. So probably say 35 years. I think I started going regularly, sort of mid to late 80s. So yeah, uh, there we go. Cool. And do you know who your opponent was in that first game? I believe it was Derby County. And I I think we lost. (laughs) And you stayed. I think it was the season we almost got relegated to Division 3. You look at the records. (laughs) Um, Next question for you then is, um, why Chelsea? Uh, Basically, my father's family are all from Chelsea. So uh, my granddad... Uh, was born in the World's End, so about 10 minutes from the ground. Uh, I believe he first started going to matches in the 1920s. Um, he took my grand, uh, my dad in uh, the 1950s, so dad's first match was when Chelsea won the title in 55. Um, and then he took me um, in the uh, in the 80s. So, so, yeah, I wasn't really given much choice. It was either that or my mum was sort of a Peterborough fan. And that didn't sound that exotic. So <laughs> it just seems a bit harsh that your dad gets to see Chelsea win the league and then you're yeah, first, imagine, that, is uh, that, nearly that relegated. Yeah, yeah. to be fair, dad, he actually did think that they won the league every year, as you would as, as a seven-year-old. He said, I didn't think I'd have to wait 50-odd years for it to happen again. So, yeah, there you go. Right. And last last question for you, Chris, before we start. Um, who've been your favourite players since you've followed Chelsea? Uh, I would I'd have to say the topic of tonight's subject is obviously Dennis Wise, but also I think uh, Hullet, Bud Hullet and Zola. Hullet's 
technically the best player I've ever seen. I didn't play for Chelsea. And uh, Zola, uh, we got him just after his prime, but he was actually superb as well. Zola. So that, those would be my top, top three. And in, in the modern Chelsea, um, Reese James, I think he's phenomenal talent. Um, very experienced. So much, such an experience head on his shoulders. So yeah, that, that's my, that's my grouping. So background for Dennis Wise. Dennis Frank Wise was born on the 16th of December 1966 in Kensington, just a couple of miles away from Chelsea. He began his junior career playing for his father's team, Bellevue FC, and he was signed by Southampton on schoolboy forms when he was just 14 years old. Then, after turning down a professional contract, he went to train with QPR, which were his favoured club, but they had no money to sign him. Wise went on to train with Crystal Palace as Laurie McMenemy released Wise from his Southampton contract. But it was Wimbledon that offered Wise his break in football, signing him on the 28th of March 1985. Dave Bassett, who was the manager, sent Wise out on loan during the summer of that year to Grevestad IF of the Swedish third division. And as a centre forward, his five goals in 10 league appearances saved the club from relegation. In 1988, he became an FA Cup winner with Wimbledon against Liverpool, setting up Laurie Sanchez for the only goal. And famously, John Aldridge missed a penalty that was uh, saved by Dave Besson. And between 1986 and 1989, Wisey played six games for the crazy gang against Chelsea, and he scored five goals. So, Chris, for those that don't know much about the old Wimbledon, what can you tell us about them? And do you have any good memories of playing them? Not really. <laughs> um, I absolutely loved them um, because they would in, inevitably sort of duff Chelsea up. Um, I think there was a famous example, I think, around the Christmas of 89. I mean, just, just before Wise signs the following season. I think Chelsea went on this horrendous run at Christmas and I think Wimbledon beat them something like 5-2 or something at the bridge. And I think Wise scores in one of those matches. But my, my memories of, of Wimbledon were... Basically, they were an awful football team to watch, um, and yet they were seemingly more successful than Chelsea were. And somehow a football club that had about 2,000 people watching them um, in a horrible stadium um, consistently finished above us. And I think it's useful to say, Wise wins a cup in 88. We get relegated that year with a, a really good team. Um, felt like the, one of the most desperate moments of supporting Chelsea. So, no, I mean, I, I, I did see us play Wimbledon. It was always horrible whenever we played them, even after Wiser joined Chelsea, actually. Um, matches against Wimbledon were, were inevitably very competitive. We never really got the better of them much before the sort of mid to late 90s. I can remember going to Sellers Park when they played down, when they moved there. We played them in the FA Cup. Um, in the mid 90s, actually, I think it was 96, and um, they uh, to create an atmosphere, they had a hunting horn every time we would have went on attack. They have a hunting horn sound over the tannoy, absolutely brilliant. Uh, they had one end at Sellers Park, Chelsea had three quarters of the ground. We won 3 1 uh, that night and got through the semi finals of the cup. But that's some Wimbledon up for me, horrible football club. Justin Fashionu, he even played for England, Justin Fashionu. Um, lots of characters, as they say, but uh, yeah, just inevitably always bullied Chelsea and Chelsea would roll over and and have their tummies tickled. And I think Wise was actually, as you used to play, as you say, five goals, he played really well against us each time, which obviously 
ultimately made us convinced that we needed to buy him. But um, but yeah, there you go. But no, no fond memories of Wimbledon whatsoever. No, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I mean, for those that haven't seen it, I think there are some documentaries out there about about them because they're essentially a pub team that went on to um, do quite well. It's quite a fascinating story. Um, they rose through the leagues quite quick, didn't they? I think from like the early 70s or, or so from Division 4. Yeah, so um, for those, those of you that are perhaps, you know, born this millennium and don't know much about it, it's worth um, just finding out a little bit more about, about Wimbledon at that time. But um, like you said, he, he did score against us. And so Chelsea, as always with all players that score against us, we decided to sign him. And on the 3rd of July 1990, Bobby Campbell made a record signing uh, £1.6 million move and Wisey was reunited with his former crazy gang member Dave Besson who was the previous record signing back in January 1989. Uh, that year Chelsea had a pre-season tour of Sweden. It started with a one-all draw versus Helsingborg and played a few more games on tour. Uh, Wise actually scored twice against Boras before continuing the rest of pre-season in England. Um, the competitive season started with a home game against Derby County on the 25th of August. Uh, Wise made his debut that day wearing the number seven shirt. Uh, the Blues won 2-1 with goals from David Lee and Peter Nicholas, but Wise was really influential in that game. It was his corner that made the first goal and then uh, a free kick that he took hit the post and helped the second one. Dean Saunders had equalised for Derby uh, mm. and boo. And then he had a 90th minute penalty saved by Dave Besson, making sure Chelsea won 2-1. Uh, three days later, Chelsea played Crystal Palace at Sellers Park. Uh, Dave Lee conceded an early penalty, which was converted by Andy Gray. And then five minutes later, both Gray and Dennis Wise were sent off. So, Chris... Um, how would you describe Dennis Wise's character and temperament to those who don't know much about him? Uh, I think Alex Ferguson described him as someone who could start a fight in an empty room, uh, which, which is probably pretty accurate, actually. I think the statistics, and you probably, you'll probably be able to tell this better than me, I think he actually missed a season's worth of football in his 10 years at Chelsea, purely through um, suspensions and, uh, and sendings off. Um, I think it was important. He, he was signed at a time when Chelsea needed some leaders on the pitch. Roberts, Graham Roberts had been captain, I think, but he was sort of clearly beyond, you know, starting to get older and his legs were wearing out in midfield alongside um, Peter Nicholas. So Wise added some steel to a side which had got promoted, had done actually reasonably well in his first season back in Division One, but um, conceded a lot of goals and certainly we needed a bit of creativity in midfield. So Wise as a footballer, was very good and ultimately got better. But he never lost that competitive streak. And with that, he was a very, very feisty character, for want of a better expression. So I would urge anyone who isn't aware of it to Google uh, when Chelsea played Manchester United in <clears throat> 99. Chelsea win 5-0 and see how he gets Nicky Butt sent off. Um, it, I won't describe it. It's pretty disgusting. But um, yeah, wise, um, very competitive someone who a lot of the time was very clever as a footballer. I'd argue the red mist occasionally descended in terms of some two-footed challenges and uh, certain acts, shall we say, which nowadays VAR would pick up on straight away. Um, must have been horrible to play against, but when he's playing for your team, 
you absolutely adore him. Yeah, and like you, I absolutely adored him, and the you know, the the steel and determination he gave was uh, was an inspiration for me when I was a boy playing football. I wanted to be like him and uh, and never give up. But um, we'll we'll cover a bit more about perhaps the um, the darker side of his um, career a bit later on. <laughs> But on the the 8th of September, he scored his first goal for the club in a home win against Sunderland. Uh, The score was 2-0 and Kevin Wilson won a penalty. Uh, Kerry Dixon actually missed a penalty in the previous game against QPR. So Wisey stepped up and he shot straight down the middle, making it 3-2 to Chelsea, which is how the game finished. Uh, Interestingly, at least one penalty was awarded in each of the first six Chelsea games that season. Uh, and Wise will soon become a regular penalty taker, and his first five goals all came from the spot. Uh, his first goal from open play came against Derby in a real thriller. Uh, the day before his 24th birthday, the Blues travelled to the baseball ground and took the lead after 11 minutes, courtesy of a left-footed strike by Kerry Dixon. At half-time, Chelsea were leading 3-1. However, in the second half, Derby scored three goals to make it 4-3. A minute later, Chelsea broke forward with Graham Stewart playing the ball out wide to Gordon Jury. And his cross found Wisey unmarked on the edge of the six-yard box and he headed in an equaliser. Two more goals from Jury and Graham Lasso gave Chelsea a 6-4 win. Now, this was in a, a very, very different time before Soccer Saturday. So, Chris, um, could you let people know, how would you find out the scores of football matches on a, on a match day? Normally, well, normally even through the groans that my father was making around between three o'clock and five o'clock. That, that sounds slightly disgusting. I think that's one way of putting it. The other way, obviously, grandstand would, would occasionally, you'd get a score update and that would tell you what was going on. But I'm sure older listeners will remember, Club Call used to have a Club Call number. So before the internet and before Twitter and before all of that, you could ring up Chelsea and you'd get live commentary feeds for something probably like 90p a minute. So you could actually listen to Neil Barnett, who, again, older listeners will remember as a spy, uh, actually commentating uh, on the games. So that, that's how you'd find out. Later on, obviously, Soccer Saturday came along. But even then, when they went to an advert break, they wouldn't have the scores up. So you'd have to wait two minutes at least before suddenly finding out what the latest score was, which was a terrifying time. So everyone who talks about internet access and watching streams these days of matches, you really don't know what you were missing out on. That sheer terror of suddenly hearing there's been a goal at the baseball ground. And that <laughs> afternoon in particular, and the way both sides defended, it's a miracle neither of them were relegated. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to share with you how um, my memories of score updates as a child were sitting in my bedroom and putting it on CFAX, page 303. Oh. Yeah, 302 for football, 303 for, yeah. And Chelsea would be on page one of three. Mm. And uh, it was it was basically, for those that haven't seen it, it was just a screen of text with the score and who had scored and maybe the attendance. Chelsea are always... If they're at home, they're on page one, but there's usually three pages that are about 30 seconds uh, long. So you'd have a look, nothing there. Page two, oh, United have scored, oh, well, fair enough. Page three, back to Chelsea, page one in a minute. Oh, still no score. Oh, and then, oh, John Spencer scored, yeah! And it was just um, a very, very different time to what it is now with with Twitter updates and, um, you know... The worst ones were when they got it wrong. I can remember one afternoon they were playing Blackburn, I think, and we actually lost 3-1. But at one point it said it was 3-2. 
and they got it wrong. Blackburn had got another goal. So, <sighs> uh, guide. <laughs> um, leading on with that, so on the 1st of May 1991, England played away versus Turkey in the Euro 92 qualifying match. Graham Taylor gave Wise his England debut, and in the 32nd minute, England won a free kick out wide on the left. Stuart Pearce crossed the ball to the edge of the 18-yard box where Gary Pallister headed it on. And Wise was the quickest to react, and his bravery and scuffed left-foot finish was enough to score past the Turkish goalkeeper to put England 1-0 up. The goal was recreated by Badil and Skinner on their Phoenix from the flame skit on fantasy football, uh, and that was, the only game, or, that was the only goal of the game as England won 1-0. And by the end of the 1990-91 season, Chelsea had finished 11th in the league and they'd reached the semi-finals of the League Cup. Weiss had scored 13 goals in 42 games in his debut season. And one of those goals came in a 1-0 win against Swindon Town in the Zenith Data Cup in front of a crowd of just 3,849, the lowest official attendance in the club's history at that time. So, Chris, how do you think, with um, with making his England debut and 13 goals in 42 games, how do you think Dennis Wise would have felt about his first season with Chelsea? I think, obviously, personally, it clearly, he clearly had an impact. I think he played out on the wing for a lot of that season, I seem to vaguely recall. Um, certainly, I mean, obviously, he was taking a lot of the crosses. But, yeah, it was a goal return for a midfielder. Crikey, we'd take that now. <laughs> um, we'd take that from a striker. Um but clearly, I mean, he, the team he was playing in, in theory, should have been much improved by having Townsend there with him. And I think they actually operated quite well together. Townsend was very good. The, the problem was the side couldn't defend. Um, the, the side's defending was getting worse. I mean, witness Derby County, 6-4. They, got, they conceded five goals at home to Wimbledon. They certainly got thumped by Liverpool that year by about five goals. Um, so obviously, personally, his career was developing. Um, Taylor picked him for England. I remember that. I think England played in a pale blue kit, which was quite snazzy at the time. Um, but yeah, as a club, I imagine probably Wimbledon, ironically, would probably finish ahead of us that season again. Usual Chelsea of that period. A um, lot of potential. The semi-final, getting to the semis of the League Cup, was actually quite a big deal then because we hadn't had a proper cup run for quite some years and we'd been knocking on the door in the League Cup. But they'd been out bullied by Sheffield Wednesday at home. They lost, I think, 2-0 or 3-1. Went up to Hillsborough playing in red, a quite snazzy red kit. Um, got bullied out there. And um, fundamentally, you come away thinking, yeah, lots of decent players in that team, but they just couldn't sort of work it together. So... I can imagine, yeah, personally, he's done well, but he's in a side which, as we will find out, takes a lot of time to start get going. Next up, in the summer of 1991, Bobby Campbell was relieved of his managerial duties to become uh, Chelsea Chairman Ken Bates' personal assistant, and he was replaced by Ian Porterfield. There was a big squad overhaul following the departures of Gordon Jury, who wanted to move closer to Scotland. Tony DiRigo, John Bumpstead, Kevin McAllister and Dave Mitchell. However, the club welcomed striker Joe Allen from Hartlepool for £250,000 and marquee signing Paul Elliott from Celtic for £1.4 million. The opening game of that season saw Wise's old team Wimbledon come to Stamford Bridge. Both Elliott and Allen scored on their debut, with perhaps Allen's goal celebration being more memorable than the actual goal. 
He ran over the advertising hoardings, passed all the cars parked behind the goal before running to the fans, and the game ended 2-2. By the end of the month, Chelsea had bolstered their midfield with the signing of Vinnie Jones from Sheffield United for £575,000. And Jones has already had a good relationship with Wise after their days together at the Crazy Gang. Wise's first goal of the season came against Luton in a 4-1 win. He also hit the bar with a penalty after John Dreher had knocked over Paul Elliott following a corner that was taken by Wise. He then scored his only goal in his next game versus Sheffield United. Perhaps the most memorable match of that season came in the FA Cup. The Blues were drawn against Sunderland in the quarterfinal. The teams played out a one-all draw at Stamford Bridge and nine days later went to Roker Park for the replay. Chelsea were 1-0 down after 20 minutes when Peter Davenport put Sunderland ahead. And with just five minutes to go, Dave Besant pumped a free kick up towards the Sunderland goal. The ball was headed down to Vinnie Jones just outside the box and his first time through ball found Wisey on the edge of the six-yard box and his finish made it 1-1. With Chelsea looking the better side, they would surely go through in extra time. However, two minutes later, Sunderland won a corner and Gordon Armstrong's header from 12 yards beat Dave Besson and Chelsea were out. So, Chris, do you have any good memories of this match? And uh, what can you tell everyone about Vinnie Jones? Um, I don't think it's impossible to find any good memories of that match. I think it's a seminal game for a lot of Chelsea fans who subsequent years decided that that was it. They were never, ever going to see us win anything. And bear in mind that you signed Vinnie Jones with Dennis Wise. That's two players who'd won more in their careers at that point than Chelsea have managed in 20 years. So it's pretty quite a damning statistic, that, isn't it? Um, the, the Sunderland match, I mean, Clive Allen scored uh, Chelsea's first goal and um, Chelsea were, you know, sort of seemingly cruising as much as you can at 1-0. Then I can't remember the name of this guy who played for Sunderland, but John someone, I think. He he got like an equaliser, obviously. I think it was John and, Byrne. And, John um... Byrne, that's it. He had a, like a, Blonde perm or something. He actually banged in a few for Sunderland at that point. My mum actually used to teach his daughter um, when she really? first started teaching many years ago. And so Lord. I've always remembered that name. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I mean, they went to a raucous Roker Park, as I believe you have to call it uh, from that time. If you go on the actual, you can still find the game on Sky. They have Peter Osgood actually uh, with Richard Keyes and I think another Sunderland player from days past there sort of talking about the game. Um, Chelsea should have won. Um, didn't, but, but obviously going one up is always uh, uh, equalising is always dangerous because all of a sudden you can be at your worst after just scoring I think it was unmarked I believe uh, for their winner from the uh, from the corner and that was it, they were out of the cup but um, Vinnie Jones, yeah, I mean he's more better known now to, to younger listeners as uh, an actor in Hollywood having starred in Lock, Stop and Two Smoking Barrels have to confess, I've never seen his acting abilities. I'm not sure how uh, how well received they are, but he's obviously made a living out of it. As a player, actually, weirdly, not as bad as everyone thinks. Everyone thinks he was an absolute fuck. And if you watch the opening minutes of the FA Cup final in 1988, he does uh, take out Steve McMahon, um, I think, within about five seconds. Uh, we were really bad two-footy challenge that sends him about a foot in the air. Um, and he doesn't even get booked, I don't think, for that challenge. Um, but what, uh, yeah, I don't think Jones and Wise, I don't think Jones added much, if I'm really honest to Chelsea at that point. I think, again, Campbell had, um, Campbell, Porterfield had signed him because he wanted to add some steel. 
Well, again, yeah, that's to a certain extent, but that Chelsea side still conceded loads of goals. And that season, yeah, they had an all right cup run. They finished 14th in the league. And for a club with our ambitions, alleged sort of size of us, that wasn't really good enough. And I, I, I personally thought Wise and, and Jones together, I didn't really see it working. Um, ironically, I think Chelsea actually played worse with, with Jones in it than Wimbledon had done when he was with them. So, so there you go. And I think, you're, as you're going to tell us, I think Jones leaves not long after that, actually, in the first few months of the Premier League season in, in 92, he goes. Um, so the only thing I will remember Jones for is he scored an absolutely stunning goal at Anfield that season. We actually, Wise, I think, scores in that game as well. Um, so we got our first league win at Liverpool since before the Second World War. Um, and if you Google it, you can see on the Sky promotional videos for when the Premier League is set up, it's a whole new ball game. Jones is the Chelsea player and representative in the opening titles. I remember that, actually, yeah. So there you go. That's how far we'd fallen as a football club if that was our representative, (laughs) Vinnie Jones. Not that I'd say it to his face. No. Um, But by the end of the season, Wise actually finished the club's top goal scorer with 14 goals in all competitions. He also earned eight yellow cards, which is more than any other player. And as you said, Chelsea finished 14th place despite being sixth in February. And in the summer of 92, the club signed Mal Donaghy from Man United, John Spencer from Rangers, Mickey Hazard from Luton. Uh, but perhaps the most notable signing was that of Norwich striker Robert Fleck in a club record £2.1 million. Uh, players that left the club included Jason Cundy going to Spurs, Ken Moncow to Southampton. And it was the end of an era for legendary striker Kerry Dixon, who also joined the Saints. Dixon played 420 games for the club and scored 193 goals, just nine short of the all-time record uh, back then set by Bobby Tamblin. Uh, have you got any good memories of Kerry, Chris? Um, I can remember him. I do remember watching him play, actually, uh, in that I, I've got memories of him actually with Nevin and Speedy, vague memories, but I do remember him sort of being the archetypal blonde centre-forward. Um, and as I sort of had blonde hair when I was about seven years old, I thought oh, I could be like Kerry Dixon. Um, do you know what? He, he, it's funny, actually. He went from being second division's high scorer, I think, when they get promoted, to I think he shares a golden boot the following season with Gary Lineker, actually, um, in Division One. Gets picked for England. And I think he has six England caps and about four goals, which ain't a bad return in total. Um, he suffered because he was surrounded by lots of other really good strikers in Division One at that point. Um, but Dixon as a player, I think actually very, very fast over about 10, 20 yards. Um, if you see the clips of him, very clever. There's there's one game in particular um, that I remember against Derby. It might even be Wise's first match um, or, or one of them where he sort of steps off the player uh, as they're attacking uh, the North stand. And um, he creates about five yards of space for himself to get a header in. Really, really clever player. Um I think personally, they actually let him go a bit too early um, when he, you look at his age uh, compared to some of the Chelsea strikers we've had down the years. Um, I think Chelsea let him go too early. Um, I think he probably could have got another season out of him. And uh, given that Chelsea started a long tradition of signing players for record fees up front and thereby the, the goal return is about, I think Robert Fleck scores four goals in total, including one of them fire his knee. One thing you did, I was going to comment actually, Joe Allen, going off topic here, Joe, Joe Allen's goal 
Um, I don't believe it comes off any part of his anatomy other than a certain part, which is located uh, around the midriff. Um, he admits himself it came off that part of uh, part of his anatomy. I won't uh, leave it to your imagination, but um, but yeah, Joe Allen. I mean, again, that's the kind of quality of player we were looking for. Really, I mean, nice guy, but we needed an overhaul. But Dixon, Dixon we let go too early. Robert Fleck was a good goal scorer for Norwich. Something happens when they get into uh, southwest London. Mm. Thank you. Um, the 1992-93 was the inaugural season of the Premier League. Uh, the decision was made by clubs to move away from the Football League to take advantage of lucrative TV money. The league introduced radical new ideas, such as referees wearing green, three substitutes on a bench and the back pass rule. And Chelsea's first game was at Stamford Bridge against Oldham on the 15th of August. Mick Hartford, making his debut, scored the Blues' first ever goal in the Premier League. Uh, and his goal was enough to earn a one-all draw. Wise actually missed that game and he didn't play for the club until the 29th of August in a nil-nil draw with Blackburn. On the 5th of September 1992, Chelsea travelled to Anfield for a game against Liverpool. After just 10 minutes, Paul Elliott was challenged, shall we say, by Liverpool yeah. striker Dean Saunders, which left Elliot in agony on the ground. And Chelsea physio Bob Ward ran on the pitch to assess the injury, but it, it was too much and Elliot was stretched off and he never played again. 15 minutes later, Saunders gave Liverpool the lead before Mick Hartwood equalised in the second half. But a late Jamie Redknapp goal gave Liverpool a 2-1 win. Now, Chris, I'm going to ask you, what do you remember about that moment? And where do you think Dean Saunders lies in the Chelsea fans' table of most hated people on the planet? Uh, beyond one, personally. Um, the actual irony is uh, Liverpool got the free kick for that challenge, um, if you look at it, for whatever reason. Uh, the injury, uh, I read later, it was apparently the equivalent of uh, a car crash injury. That's how bad... The wreck to to Elliot's knees. If you actually watch the footage, it, it's I hate to say it's not graphic as such, but clearly Elliot's in a lot of pain and injury. Um, so yeah, Dean Saunders as a human being um, should be confined personally to the uh, gates of hell and uh, should never be let out. Um, I don't think he's ever actually expressed any remorse for it either. I accept the fact that he didn't mean to do it. He didn't mean to wreck the guy's career, but um, as a consequence. You know, we, it, it, we, Elliot, Elliot was a phenomenal talent and player who never got to show that at Chelsea. And I think that the crying shame, we're going off topic slightly here, but the crying shame of Elliot would have been that had he stayed around, stayed fit, played under Hoddle, who we'll be coming to shortly, and with Rude Hullet, I think Chelsea's prospects would have been so much better than they, than they were. He was a fantastic player who, you know, was... Uh, criminally on the verge of an England call-up. I think he played for England A, as they used to be called, or England B. But he should have he should have played for England at, uh, at, at first team level. And he was on the verge. I saw him, I saw his last game at home the week before. I think they played Blackburn and Drew Neil Neil. Um midweek match. And Elliot was fantastic that night against Alan Shearer, who was making his name. And I think Mike Smith. Uh, not the DJ, uh, the, the striker was playing up front for them and Elliot was brilliant that night. Um, Chelsea missed out so much on him for not just that season. I think another two or three seasons would have been would have been superb. So, yes, uh, fans of our age and older fans, you mentioned Dean Saunders and I won't repeat the phraseology. No, fair enough. I know, um, yeah, 
for certain certain people he, he's in that he's in that top one um but then in recent years it's i think it depends on your age um and what moments you've had in your life i mean you've got david ellery and you've got um over as well there are some but for many dean saunders will be number one um after this, a few days later, Nigel Spackman re-signed for the club. And as you mentioned earlier, Vinnie Jones left uh, to join Wimbledon. In December that year, Chelsea signed Russian goalkeeper Dmitry Karin from CSK Moscow for £400,000. A poor run of form later in the campaign meant that in February 1993, Porterfield was sacked and he was replaced by Chelsea legend David Webb, who'd scored the winning goal in the 1970 FA Cup final against Leeds. On the 12th of April 1993, which was Easter Monday, Chelsea hosted Wimbledon at Stamford Bridge and won 4-2. Dennis Wise scored from the penalty spot just before half-time to give his side the lead. Uh, and this was actually the first time that Wise had captained the team. Yet again, the Blues finished 11th in the league, um, but they only missed out on sixth place by three points. Uh, they were knocked out of the FA Cup in the third round, 2-1 by Middlesbrough. And Wise only scored four goals this season, um, but he did improve his yellow card ratio because he got 10 yellow cards that year. And in the summer of 1993, Ken Bates appointed a new manager. Glenn Hoddle had just got Swindon Town promoted into the Premier League, but left shortly afterwards to become the player manager at Chelsea. Club captain Andy Townsend was sold to Aston Villa for £2.1 million, and Graham Stewart left to join Everton for £850,000. Hoddle did sign Gavin Peacock from Newcastle for £1.25 million, And Dennis Wise was also installed as the permanent club captain, securing a place in the middle of midfield rather than as a winger, as you mentioned earlier, where he used to play. Chris, I want to ask you, how did you feel about the appointment of Hoddle as the Chelsea manager? And how do you think giving Wisey the captaincy affected the team? Um. When Hoddle, it was exciting. When Hoddle was was appointed, it was, uh, yeah, I remember when I was about, what, I was 15. Good Lord. Uh, it was exciting. Um, there was a real buzz about getting a player of, uh, a player of, of that calibre. He'd, he'd done phenomenally well with with Swindon. He was obviously joining as a, as a player manager. And I think it's interesting, actually, you mentioned uh, David Webber taken over from Porterfield um, for the last you know, four, three or four months of that season. I can remember actually really going to that Wimbledon game um, and it was awful. They won 4-2, but the football was terrible. They think they beat Middlesbrough as well around that time, 4-1. But it was just horrendously long ball football. So with Hoddle, we were promised, I think in one of his first you know, sort of press conferences, he talks about the need for improvement in football, football intelligence, you know, wanting to win um, the right way. So from that regard, you know, that, that was in a, akin to going back to sort of the, the 70s stylish way of football. Brilliant, you know, bring it on. Um, even if he had been long associated with Spurs. I think Hoddle actually had been at Chelsea for, for a little time before that. He'd actually done some rehabilitation at Chelsea in the early 90s before he went to Monaco, I think. And, and certainly Colin Hutchinson, the then managing director, had got to know him. And I think that's where they clearly formed the relationship. Um, giving Wise a captaincy was an interesting one, actually. I think clearly he was trying to um, make him you know, be real, more responsible. Saw him clearly as a very valuable player to the side, but he's only useful if he's on the pitch. And clearly Dennis's disciplinary issues were starting to get to the point whereby, you know, you're, you're not much use if you're sort of constantly getting suspended or 
or set off. So clearly he was trying to give him that sense of responsibility um, to, you know, sort of take that edge off the competitive recklessness and be more responsible for the team. So in theory, it's actually quite a wise, given the pun, move. And I think as we'll find out, things don't always work out that way. Hmm, perhaps not. Um, thank you. On the 17th of August, 1993, Wise scored his first goal of the season against, guess who? Wimbledon. Chelsea were wearing their famous white shirts with the red pinstripes and a, and a blue shoelace on the collar. Uh, it was a scrappy goal, but Wise finished it with his left foot to make it 1-0. On the 2nd of October, Wise was sent off against West Ham for a late challenge on David Burrows. Referee Robbie Hart showed him a straight red card just before half-time, a minute after Trevor Morley had scored the only goal of the game. He was later given a three-match suspension by the FA, um, and in, but in his next game, he scored twice against West Brom in the League Cup, known as the Coca-Cola Cup back then, uh, including one of them being a last-minute winner. They then lost to Man City in the next round. By the end of October... Chelsea signed striker Mark Steen from Stoke for £1.5 million, meaning we had a team consisting of Dennis Wise, John Spencer, Mark Steen and Gavin Peacock, who were all under five foot ten. How do you think this team did of, of short players during this time? Badly at that point. <laughs> um well, they, I mean, they'd beaten United, actually. They, they, they'd beaten United in the end of August, early September, 1-0 at the bridge I was there that day and you can still get that game on match of the day you know the, the 25 minutes highlights of it um so they actually were playing some pretty decent football at points um they then beat Liverpool I think at home 1-0 due to to a contentious goal shall we say which did it cross the line or not who knows um but after that they went on this horrendous run of form which I think season basically you know lose about six out of seven league matches um, I think Tony Cascarino was knocking around up front and clearly, you know, the confidence of the players was was lacking. Peacock had got off to a really good start as, as a player and I think Wise had, had, was feeding off it. Um, you might correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think Hoddle strips a captaincy off him for a short period after he gets sent off or clearly we, they... We might talk about that shortly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they started to struggle um, and confidence started falling away. Uh, across that period. Thank you. Um, on the 3rd of January 1994, Chelsea played Everton and they beat them 4-2 at Stamford Bridge. But Dennis Wise was accused of elbowing Everton's uh, Matty Jackson off the ball, which left the defender leaving the field with double vision. Hoddle stated that he didn't see the incident but would be reviewing it tomorrow. When talking after the game about the incident, Jimmy Gabriel, who was Everton's caretaker manager, said, I was very disappointed. It was a crucial moment. There was an elbow in the face, which has left our player with a damaged optical nerve. He, meaning Wise, did it in front of the linesman, yet he's not flagged. The refs let it go and they scored. Anybody in the world would be mad about it. But Wise denied the allegations, saying, I never elbowed anybody. The linesman was right there and he didn't give a foul. He, as in Jackson, pushed me and I pushed him. I might have caught him in the eye with my finger. I didn't mean to do anything. And this turned out to be Wise's last game uh, until six weeks later when he returned for an FA Cup sixth round tie against Oxford. And Chelsea won with goals from John Spencer and Craig Burley. Just quickly, Chris, have you got any good memories about Craig Burley? No. 
Five there we go. <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, he, he did score some quite important goals. He, he went for a period, actually, that season of, of I mean, in that actual Everton game, I think. He scores that really screamer from the edge of the box. He then goes and does it at Anfield with a goal at the cop end, uh, which, again, was absolutely superb goal. Um, but, um, no, since then, I, I don't have any memories of, of Craig who? So <laughs> no idea. No, I think it sounds like someone who's on American sports channels these days moaning about to about Chelsea. <clears throat> in, in March, the Blues beat Wolves 1-0 in the FA Cup quarterfinal and earned a trip to Wembley in the semi-final against Luton Town. Uh, Kerry Dixon was playing for Luton then and he was given a huge ovation by the Chelsea fans that day. But a brace from Gavin Peacock meant that Chelsea would be heading to, Man, uh, to Wembley to be playing Man United in the final, who, as you said, Chelsea had beaten 1-0 through Gavin Peacock, and he did it at Old Trafford and at Stamford Bridge. And on the 14th of May, 1994, Dennis Wise proudly led Chelsea out for the FA Cup final. It was the first time the Blues had reached this stage since they won it in 1970. The day poured down with rain, and despite it being 0-0 at half-time, United ended up winning 4-0 with the help of referee David Ellery, who awarded the Manchester side not one, but two penalties. Uh, Wise went up to Cantona, who was set to take the penalty, and he bet him £20 he would miss. Cantona then went and scored, and before he took the second penalty, he asked Wisey if he wanted to do double or quits, to which uh, Dennis turned down his offer. Uh, Chris, I was at this this game, but I was just wondering, what are your memories of this cup final? Um, <laughs> desperate. <laughs> I think what, what I think you've got to remember, actually, and people, you know, we take, I hate to say this, we take the cup for granted these days, especially given, um, you know, the fact that we, we've won it quite a lot over the last 25 years. It doesn't feel that way given the last three years, but the palpable excitement of that, I mean, that Wolves game alone, there was a pitch invasion. I can remember I was on the shed and um, the, the the reaction at full time was, was phenomenal. I can remember queuing up for semi-final tickets, you know, getting there really early in the morning and, and getting cup final, uh, cup semi-final tickets. You know, about seven of us went to do it. It's mad. Um, couldn't get a ticket for the final. Uh, so a group of us watched it at, uh, at my home with my parents. Uh, a few mates came around. It rained continuously. It was raining where I was in Kent. It was raining in London. Um I must admit, I was sceptical if we would win it. I, even the cynical 15-year-old me thought, we can't beat United three times in a season. So I went into it with hope rather than expectation. Um, ultimately, they actually played really well in the first half. Uh, they had the beating of them at points. And even now, actually, if you see the match, Chelsea have about five or six chances to score, even at 3-0. Um, Smichael has to pull off some really good saves from from Spencer and, and Steen, I think. Um, ultimately ruined by David Ellery. Um, it hurt. Uh, it, it, it hurt. It's one of the last times I think I ever cried over a football match. Not helped by the fact that on the Monday, the following Monday, I had to go into school. So naturally I had everyone take the mickey out of me. Um, I had a GCSE English exam that afternoon. So that was fun. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and my bless him, my form tutor was a Man United fan from Manchester, and he took me into his room and we went through the match together. And uh, he he consoled me. He told me you'll get there one day. 
So <clears throat> I think he's been a well-worn set, but if, 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 if you'd have said to me then, well, you're going to see him win the cup seven times, you're going to see him win the league five times, you're going to see a couple of European cups along the way, I would have taken it. But at that time, I was, I was pretty hot. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great! Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Uh, a week after that final, uh, England manager Terry Venables, who used to play for Chelsea, he gave Wise his first England cap in three years uh, as they drew nil-nil with Norway at Wembley. For the 1994-95 season, uh, Man United had won the league and so they entered the Champions League. Uh, also, they won, obviously, they beat us in the FA Cup, which meant that the losing finalists would be England's representative in the European Cup Winners' Cup. The Blues have a good history in this competition because they beat Real Madrid in 1971 in a replay to claim the trophy. Uh, And now Chelsea are excited to embark on another European adventure that season. In the summer, the Blues splashed out on another new record signing. Striker Paul Furlong had done well for Watford in Division 1. And so Hoddle secured his services for £2.3 million. Other additions included Scott Minto and David Rowcastle. Chelsea started off the season so well by beating Norwich, Leeds and Manchester City. Wise had opened the scoring in two of those games, but he was then sent off against Newcastle as they lost 4-2. But on the 15th of September, Victoria Ziskov came to Stamford Bridge for a Cup Winners' Cup first round game. It was the first time European football had been seen at the bridge since November 1971, and the Blues had an explosive start to the match, going 2-0 up after just five minutes. However, the visitors had drawn level by half-time. David Rocastle did make it 3-2 before Wisey added a fourth. Chris, uh, what do you remember about this game, and and how excited were you and other Chelsea fans about playing uh, European football? 
it was the <clears throat> it was a consolation having of of obviously the cup final and, and to be fair to United obviously doing the double. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I mean that game, yeah. Um, I mean as you say, the first match in Europe since Adviderberg, I think it was in 1971. Um, I I almost didn't make it because I was coming up from uh, from Kent on the train, got on the tube, and there'd been a bomb alert at Earl's Court. So I can remember thinking, this is brilliant for the first time in almost a quarter of a century. I'm going to see hoping to see Chelsea in Europe, and I'm about a mile away from the ground. I can't get there because I'm stuck on a tube because of uh, a bomb alert. So that was fun, but I did get there. Um, interesting, this season was the, the shed end had been demolished. So you had a temporary stand uh, at, uh, at that end of the pitch. And it's the first time I can ever remember, I, I suddenly understand it, that footballers shout at each other on a football pitch. And it was Dennis Wise who was the first person who made me realise that because I was about two rows from the front, I think, uh, that night. And uh, Chelsea were defending a corner. And I suddenly heard Dennis Wise shouting at someone. And I, it was a revelation. Oh, good Lord, they actually communicated with each other. Um, I didn't think they did, given sometimes how our defence uh, worked. But uh, but yeah, so there you go. That game itself was explosive. Chelsea was scoring so many goals at the start of that season. And um, yeah, Victoria Ziskov, um, that summed it up. Rowcastle scores a really good goal, actually. Keeper doesn't clear it properly. And I think Rowcastle takes a couple of touches and um, knocks it in from probably about, certainly from the edge of the box, I think even further out than that. So it was actually really exciting. Furlong, I thought, was a pretty decent player. Rowcastle was only 26 or 27, I think, when Chelsea signed him, which at the time he was in his, in his prime. Um, they stepped up. They played some really good stuff. Um, the the ground was buzzing that night against Ziskov. Um, brilliant, brilliant memories, you know. Yeah, I, I remember being. That was my first European game as a mm. as a boy, and I, I remember when um, Sinclair scored the first goal, and I was yeah. in the family section that day, and he ran over, and I can see on the end of season video, I can see where I was standing by the advertising board, and I thought he was going to come up and hug me. I got so excited, but oh. but he didn't. Um, um, you mean you my, didn't go to the Cross Channel Trophy Cup in I like '93 or whenever it was? I, I, I mean, didn't go know. to that, I'm afraid. No, I don't think many people did actually. I um, my other my other memory of that is where I used to sit in the family section for that. It was right by the tunnel, and you could go up and get autographs there. Um, but I didn't want to get the autographs of the other team. But one of the the opposition players was was walking by about to jog down the tunnel and I shook his hand but for some reason he didn't seem to let go of my hand um but he carried on going and he just slipped down about three of the stairs and nearly injured himself <laughs> before the game but um yeah wasn't to be but I thought oh that would be that'd be a, a claim to fame that injured by a you know a 13 year old boy before a game but um no he, he, he got his balance again but at the time it, it, it amused me um Following on from that, the, the return leg uh, it ended nil-nil and then Chelsea a second round tie with Austria-Memphis. Uh, it's worth noting that at this time, the teams had to follow the, the foreigner rule, only permitting three non-English players in their team. Um, but Chelsea at that time had Dimitri Karin from Russia, Erling Jonsson from Norway, Jakob Kjellberg from Denmark. But in addition to this, They've got Steve Clark, Craig Burley, David Hopkin and John Spencer. And because they're all from Scotland, they count as foreigners as well. So there's a lot for, for Hoddle to, to juggle around. But in that um, tie against Austria-Memphis, the first leg uh, was at Stamford Bridge and it ended nil-nil. 
but the return leg saw one of the most talked about goals in the club's history scored by John Spencer. Chris, I'm wondering, could you tell everybody about this goal and where do you think it ranks in your all-time favourite Chelsea goals? I think I think the tie the tie wasn't shown live on telly. I don't think, uh, or if it was, then it might have been on Sky. And we didn't have it. Uh, I listened to it on the radio, so it was on Capital Gold. So people will probably have heard of Jonathan Pierce. Um, he used to be a radio commentator before he did Match of the Day, and he was known even then for a degree of hyperbole. But he deserves it for this goal. So you're listening to uh, the radio. Really bad reception. Chelsea are nil nil. Um, not quite hanging in there, but. You know, one if they go a goal down, then they're in trouble. Um, and suddenly Spencer breaks away from the edge of the box after Chelsea have defended a corner, sprints basically uh the length of the pitch. Eddie Newton is with him acting as a decoy, he draws the keeper and he puts a perfectly placed finish, I think more or less straight down the middle of the goal, um, and runs away in delight and scores. Austria, Austria, Memphis, as I think they were known, or whatever they were called, um, get a late equaliser, but Chelsea hang on. Um, and I think at the time, the Chelsea squad was depleted with, with injury as well. So you didn't just have the the English players uh, rule. Um, I think Spencer himself had his leg sort of in a castle. Whatever. I think he'd had hamstring trouble. Graham Ricks, I think, had come on at some point to play for Chelsea. Hoddle certainly played. Anthony Barnish, he had all these fringing uh, players who were English. who actually basically had to turn out for the, for the club that night. It certainly wasn't there strongest strongest 11 you would you would wish to name i think Stamford the line might have been on the bench um brilliant achievement you know we won all out there i think that in the entire campaign that's the only away goal we score but um yeah at the time um brilliant result i think austria were, were convinced they were probably going to get through given that the home game had been hard fought not many chances but to be fair as a back to the wall performance and um I think very fondly sort of spoken about by those who were there from, from Chelsea. In terms of top 10 goals, easily in the top 10. Um, it might seem a bit odd now that in a second round of the European Cup Winners' Cup, uh, a goal to, in a one-all tie, but you have to sort of really see it and appreciate the circumstances to, to, to sort of get it. But yeah, definitely one of the top 10 goals. Uh, and certainly probably the best goal Spencer ever scored for Chelsea. Criminally underrated player, in my opinion. Thank you. Um, as you said, it finished one all, and Chelsea won on the away goals rule, and they'd be rewarded with a quarter-final tie against Club Bruges from Belgium at the end of February. Uh, between November 1993 until the first leg with Bruges, uh, Wisey'd only managed to win two out of 12 matches. His only goal in that time came against Tottenham in a one-all draw, uh, when he scored a, a header set up by Glenn Hoddle. On the 28th of February, Chelsea travelled to Belgium uh, and the Blues conceded a late goal from a free kick. Uh, a few minutes after that, Wise was replaced by Rowcastle. And that turned out to be Wise's last appearance of that season, um, mainly due to a thigh injury. But one thing we haven't covered here is back on the evening of the 8th of October, Wise was on a night out at Terry Venables, Kensington Club and Restaurant Scribes. Outside, uh, Wise and three of his friends had hailed a cab to go to West London. After a dispute and after his girlfriend had been injured by the taxi door, Wise smashed a glass partition inside the cab and he grabbed the 65-year-old driver called Gerald Graham round the neck and the matter went to court. Glenn Hoddle stripped Wise of the club captaincy with Gavin Peacock taking over the armband. 
And then on the 13th of March, 1995, the day before the return leg against Bruges, Wise was sentenced to jail for three months after being found guilty of assault and criminal damage. Later that day, his agent, Eric Hall, uh, and the legal team applied for bail, and it was granted with eight minutes to spare until he would have gone to Brixton Prison, and the sentence was later overturned on appeal. Chris, what do you remember about this this taxi incident and the the court case? And do you think that Hoddle was right to strip him of the captaincy? Because Wisey says in his autobiography that he believes Hoddle should have stuck by him um, until the the matter had been resolved. But um, tell us your thoughts on everything. I think I think the irony is they, they played Leicester that day at home. And I think they'd won like 4-0 or 4-1. So clearly he was out celebrating. It, it's for those of us who of a certain age remember, he, he did he played head tennis at one point, Dennis Wise, during that match with a fan in the West Stand on the benches. Um, I mean, Chelsea were cruising, 3-0 up, and I think there was a delay in play. So clearly Dennis was in, in a really good mood that evening. Um, the circumstances at the time, um, clearly it was a high high profile incident. I remember uh, I was a sixth former at that point, so naturally getting newspapers at school when you weren't doing your economics uh, work that I was doing, you'd sit there and in the library catching up on the latest. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great look for the club. It was high profile then. It'd be high profile now, to be honest. Uh, we see that in the press. Thank God social media wasn't about at that point, because I think that probably would have really ramped things up. Um as I can remember the incident, I, I can't remember why it was overturned, actually. But, um, you know, OK, it was. If he'd gone down, well, that was his own fault. You know, I think Wise and Hoddle, you've got to remember going back to the previous season, I think they had a bit of a falling out. So when Chelsea were on their horrendous run, which culminated in the Christmas, they were second from bottom and they lost away to Southampton. There's always been stories that they, Wise and Hoddle had an argument in the uh, in the dressing room at the uh, end of the match. And basically Wise was telling him how Chelsea should be playing to get themselves out of trouble. So clearly Hoddle felt undermined by Wise. Um, I Was it a good decision at the time? Wise wasn't much used to Chelsea at that point. He'd been injured, as, as you say. I hadn't realised he'd been out and he missed the rest of that season from February. So, I mean, you know, you're missing a third of the season. Chelsea won a pretty awful run in the league at that point as well. The Cup Winners' Cup run actually masked a lot of a lot of problems at home. They couldn't win um, at all. I think they go from basically October to April without winning. So if anyone thinks our home form could be bad under Lampard and Tuchel at points, you try that one. Um, I can remember before they played Bruges in the second leg, um, they lost to Leeds 3-0 at home, and it was awful that day. Leeds were a really good team, but Chelsea were appalling. Uh, they clearly missed Wise, but if he was injured, then, you know, he he, he wasn't really going to be much use. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 at the time, I think Hoddle probably did the right thing. He wasn't in the team anyway, so, you know, what was the point? Hot. Peacock was a good player. Peacock was clearly, you know, I think Hoddle liked him as a as a man as well as a player. Um, so I don't blame him, really. Um, yeah, that was the end of, of Wise's season, but Chelsea, uh, they went on to reach the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup and were eventually beaten by Real Zaragoza, despite a, a real spirited fight back in the, the second leg after being 3-0 down and Chelsea wearing their uh, tangerine and graphite 
coloured kit that evening and um Gorgeous. and things. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Got um, mine. yeah, I've got I've got one, I think it's signed by Mark Hughes um up in my loft somewhere. But um yeah, it was um I was wondering what may have may have happened if Wise hadn't been injured and this hadn't happened and he was in that team whether we would have we would have gone all the way, but but we'll never know. The summer of 1995 was perhaps the most exciting in the club's history up to that point. On the 31st of May, it was announced that former World Footballer of the Year, AC Milan and Dutch legend Ruud Hullet would be joining Chelsea on a free transfer from Sampdoria. Mark Hughes has also agreed to join for Man United for £1.5 million, And later that year, they would sign Dan Petrescu and Terry Phelan. Chelsea sold David Hopkins to Crystal Palace and later in the season they sold Robert Fleck back to Norwich for a cut price of 650000 Darren Barnard went to Bristol City and Gareth Hall went to Sunderland. Glenn Hoddle had now retired as a player. The team had played a number of pre-season friendlies in the UK, starting with a 5-0 win over Kingstonian. Next up was Gillingham away, where Rude Hullett made his first appearance for Chelsea. And there was huge anticipation to see him. And he, was, he was swamped by photographers and fans as he entered the pitch from the tunnel before the kickoff. And it's worth noting that um, Chelsea were in their grey and orange, or should I call it the tangerine and graphite kit. So, Chris, I just want to ask you, uh, what can you remember about what a change that Chelsea, when Hullett and Hughes signed? And how do you think Wise would have felt with this kind of quality joining the club? I think he, I, I suppose in a way, obviously Wise being the player that he was, he would have risen ultimately to the challenge. As you, I think we still said previously that the season four, he hadn't played at that point for about six, seven months. Yeah, he missed, missed most of the season from February onwards. So in a way, the team had sort of functioned and, and got to where it was without him. Um, I was at the Gillingham match. Um, I actually, because that was my local team at the time, so I queued up for about three or four hours before the game uh, with about, I don't know, 100, 200 other Chelsea fans who got down there early and watched that match. Um, brilliant, sort of this time of year, July, early season, pre-season. Um, Hullick coming out uh, in a Chelsea shirt at Priestfields, which was slightly weird. Gillingham at the time, I think, were a Division 4 side. Um, Hughes played as well. Um, I think Gillingham took the lead, actually, and then uh, Chelsea sort of hit back with some late goals. But, I mean, clearly, you know, it showed the club's ambition. It showed the direction that they wanted to go in. Um, Wise had been a stalwart of the side up to that point for five years, you know, half half a decade, key points of his um, his career. So, clearly, I think he saw it as a, a great opportunity and a confirmation that, you know, the club was serious about wanting to um, to build on on, you know, the success of reaching a cup final, having a really good European run, it was starting to get serious. Thank you. Uh, and then later on, Chelsea's first competitive game of the season was against Everton at home, and that ended 0-0. Uh, this was followed by the same scoreline against Nottingham Forest, and then a 2-0 loss to Middlesbrough. Um, things did get better, though. On the 30th of August, uh, a midweek game against Coventry, uh, Chelsea took the lead uh, around five minutes after Gavin Peacock had won a penalty. Uh, Wise stepped up to take it and smashed it into the top left corner. Shortly after this, Wise found Hullet and uh, his pass to Mark Hughes is sublime. If you haven't seen it, go and look for Chelsea versus Coventry. Inch perfect. Per, outside of the boot, 50-yard okay. pass yeah. Um, yeah. met by Hughes to make it 2-0. But yeah. sadly... 
ended up 2-0. Uh, yeah. Next up came West Ham away. Uh, Wise is on the score sheet again. Scrappy goal this time around the half-hour mark. Uh, and the Blues won 3-1 with John Spencer adding the other two. Uh, his second goal uh, came when he was wearing a bandage on his head after Julian Dink, uh, Dix had stamped on him in the first half. Uh, and Wise, he also missed a penalty in that game when Ludek McCluskey... I watched that match. I watched that match um, at a friend's house. We didn't have Sky at the time. So when, when Sky was still slightly exotic... I went round to, it was my mum's boss's house and I I went round to watch Chelsea versus West Ham, but obviously I also went round because I rather fancied his 15-year-old daughter, uh, who happened to be a Tottenham fan. Can you Poor just girl. confirm how old you were at the time? I was 17. I was 17. <laughs> yeah. Let's clarify that for, uh, yeah, there's any starting rumours. But yes, and uh, I do, yeah, that game, Chelsea actually played really well as well. They were well worth the free uh Three one Spencer and Dix, or well, Spencer's head, as you say, and Julian Dix's studs had a slight coming together, um, but that sort of set Chelsea on the road. I mean, the, the the Coventry match, I was again at that one, and Chelsea in the first half was superb. They were all over them, but it was obviously a sign that they were still very much a team in transition because the second half, the way they fell apart, showed that although Hullett and Hughes clearly were up in the quality. There were still issues there which needed addressing, which um, I think Hullick played as a sweeper as well, actually. The, the first part of the season, certainly, he played as a sweeper. Um, but his range of passing, as, as you say, um, Adam, just, just Google that alone and it's phenomenal. Um, it's an early season pitch. It's not like he's playing on mud, but even so, absolutely superb player and sign of what was to come. Uh, on the 6th of September, Terry Venables uh, picked Wise for uh, an England game in a friendly against Colombia at Wembley. The game ended nil-nil, but he did play the whole 90 minutes. However, this match had one of the most famous incidents in football history. England had possession and Dennis Wise squared the ball to Jamie Redknapp. And then his snapshot from outside the box um, was to be saved by the goalkeeper, Rennie Hagita, in what is now known as the Scorpion Kick. And if you haven't seen it, and you need to check it out online. So I, I want you to be honest now, Chris. Um, what are your memories of this save? And did you and any of your friends try and recreate it in the playground? We we, we were six formers by then. We weren't in the playground. You know, we were, we were too busy trying to go down the pub. Um, I do actually really remember watching that because it was obviously the build-up to um, all the, the matches before Euro 96 started. So England didn't have any competitive matches. They were all friendlies. Um, yeah, I, I can't describe it other than he was like a sort of musketeer, wasn't he? With long, black, flowing hair and a, an eccentric approach to goalkeeping. Um, I mean, the funny thing was earlier in, in the decade, Chelsea had, had issues with goalkeepers trying to clear balls. Uh, Kevin Hitchcock and Dave Besson, with the new back pass rule, continually sort of made cock-ups at the start of the season with their clearances. But this this man meant it. He, he basically yes, dives forward on his wrists and clears the ball with the, I want to say, the back of his boots basically and clears it about 30 40 yards it's a phenomenal piece of goalkeeping never seen repeated i've never seen anyone do it in playgrounds or anywhere else but i'm sure sunday morning footballers did and then came to regret it <laughs> yeah um on the 11th of october he was again selected for a friendly against norway uh, that game ended nil nil uh, and wise was replaced by steve stone uh, interestingly tor andre flo made his international debut for norway in that game, and Erling Jonsson and Fordy Gradas were our new subs as well. 
three days later, Weiss scored the only goal of the game against Aston Villa. Uh, his goal celebration involved him running towards a fan and patting his head. This was in response to some stick he'd been getting throughout the game from him. Uh, his next goals came against Man United in a one-all draw at Old Trafford and then a penalty against Newcastle in an FA Cup replay. Uh, the Blues were winning 1-0 10 days earlier, but Dimitri Karin's poor kick with moments to spare allowed Newcastle to score a late equaliser. Uh, Geordies were top of the league at that time and they were flying. And in the replay at St James's Park, uh, Newcastle took the lead through Philip Albert. And then on the hour mark, John Spencer was through on goal before being brought down in the box by Darren Peacock. The referee showed him a second yellow card and then he was gone. Weiss took the penalty straight down the middle after Cernicek dived out of the way and now the score was 1-1. A minute later, Dave Lee gave away a penalty for Newcastle, which was converted by Peter Beardsley. And uh, if you've ever seen it, I did love Terry Phelan's attempt to put him off beforehand. And then with minutes to go, Hullet headed in an equaliser and after extra time, the score ended 2-2. Chelsea eventually won the shootout 4-2 with Wise scoring his spot kick and Eddie Newton netting the all-important penalty. Um, Chris, what do you remember about this game and how do penalty shootouts make you feel? Uh, very nervous. We, we did actually used to win occasionally penalty shootouts in the FA Cup. I know some people might find that quite hard to believe. Chelsea should have actually won the first match anyway. They, as you said, they were winning 1-0 uh, convincingly. Uh, and I think it was like the 98th minute or something. There was a, so much added time, and it was a stupid clearance. It was on BBC Match of the Day. I think it was a featured featured match on the Sunday afternoon. Um, but up there, yeah, no one gave us much of a hope. Newcastle, at that point, I think, was still probably about 12 points clear, or certainly a good a good uh, 10 points clear at the top of the league. This was the season Keegan uh, lost it when he said he would love it. Love it if uh, they beat United. Famous, famous mid-90s football clip. But no, Chelsea reacted well. Going 1-0 down, I think they matched Newcastle, player for player. They'd already beaten Newcastle in the league, actually, at the bridge um, in early December. So they had a really good sort of run against them, despite the fact we were still probably mid-table. Um, I remember the shootout. Chelsea actually did really well in the shootout. All the shoot, all the penalties were really, really good. Mostly down the middle, I think. Eddie Newton's might have been to one side, but um, no, Kevin Hitchcock uh, stepped up for, for not a very big keeper. He was actually a very good shot stopper when it came to penalties, um, Hitchcock. And Chelsea ultimately deserved to go through. Um, as towards my view on penalty shootouts, they're horrible. Um, my experiences with England as well as Chelsea, they, they I think 70% of the time, they've ended in abject misery. And um, I absolutely love them. Even, uh, even Munich... Um, in 2012, I was there. I didn't watch any of the penalties. I sat on the floor in the Alliance Arena with my scarf wrapped over my head and I refused to watch the shootout. I found out we won, weirdly, but um, I didn't see any of those penalties to this, you know, until, until later on when we got home. So, yeah, there we are. Thank you. Uh, in February, Weiss scored two goals in a 3-2 win over Southampton. He then played in FA Cup victories against Grimsby and Wimbledon. Both went to replays before a semi-final against Man United at Villa Park. Bullets header put Chelsea ahead after 35 minutes and Andy Cole equalised in the second half. Then came one of those moments that will haunt me forever. Just before the hour mark, United were playing out from the back. The ball bounced to Craig Burley 
who flicked the ball over Ryan Giggs's head before volleying an under-hit back pass from inside United's half. David Beckham was quicker to respond, uh, and Terry Phelan, who was suffering from an injury, just couldn't get back in time, and Beckham's strike made it 2-1. Chelsea lost and had missed the chance to get to Wembley. Chris, I know we're talking about this um, off-air, but tell me your thoughts about this moment, and have you forgiven Craig Burley for this yet? I, I'm, I'm as bitter as he is about being left out of the 97 Cup final squad. Um, it was, I mean, yeah, hindsight at the time, it was absolutely gutting. We couldn't beat United in the FA Cup ties. It took us a few goes, actually, to do it in the end. Um, Chelsea had had, you could argue, reasonably, apart from Newcastle, a, a quite an easy run, I suppose, to the Cup semi-finals. But... Um, they played really well. It was a really good game, actually. I mean, Chelsea's that story that season. They went one up about 15, 20 times in matches and they could never hold a lead. Um, but no, ultimately, the, the match itself, Michael Dubry was in his absolute pomp. He'd broken into the side at um, centre-back. Um, he used to go on runs where he'd kept, collect the ball from the back and just charge up the pitch and it would scare the life out of opposition players. I think he hits the bar in this game, I think, Dubry. Um, Hunnick was superb. Um, Chelsea were rocking United at one point. After United go 2-1 up, which I think is Beckham's first goal for, for United, he, he was, you know, he, he was a known player, but he hadn't made the proper breakthrough at that point. Um, I think um, Chelsea, they have one cleared off the line, uh, like in the dying seconds by Cantona. And, uh, you know, with hindsight, um, yeah, it was actually a cracking game. It was heartbreaking at the time. And I can remember coming back um, being on the whole end that day and uh, being thoroughly dejected. I think it was one of the last times I think you know, I sort of was that small lump in my throat after a match, thinking, Cup semi final, you've got to win them, I'm afraid. That's the rules. And uh, we didn't. But United were in the, their pomp at that point. They'd overturned Newcastle in the league, deservedly. They did the double, I think, that season. It was a classic Ferguson United side. It was a tall order to win that match, but Chelsea did match them. Bit of luck the other way. It could have been them who made it, but we didn't always get the run on the ball in those days. So, so there we are. Uh, the season ended with a 3-2 loss to Blackburn with Wise opening the scoring. And the Blues, again, finished 11th that season. But the big news was that Glenn Hoddle was leaving to become the England manager after Euro 96. In the build-up to the big tournament, Terry Venables had a squad of 27 players but he needed to trim them down to 22 for his Euro 96 squad. The five players to miss out were Hugo Ehiog, Jason Wilcox, Rob Lee, Peter Beardsley and Dennis Wise. The England midfielders to make the squad were Paul Lintz, David Platt, Gaza, Darren Anderton, Nick Barmby, Jamie Redknapp, Steve McManaman and Steve Stone. Chris, from that lot, do you think Wisey should have been included in the squad? And if so, who should he have replaced? Probably Steve Stone, I suppose. Um, I mean, Rob, I don't know. He left out a lot of midfielders, actually, didn't he, from that squad, mostly. Players like Rob Lee as well. Rob Lee was probably quite unlucky to be left out. Beardsley was probably on his way, way down there. I, I can't actually even remember Beardsley being around the England squad at that point. So probably Stone. I mean, Wise. Venables liked Wise, and I think it was, as I understand it, actually, that squad selection, ultimately, it was a really close call, I think. I think Venables felt quite quite bad leaving Wise out, but ultimately they had to trim the squad down. 
Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily remember being that gutted that he hadn't made it. Um, you know, I, I felt for him for a bit. He'd had a he'd had a good season, but it was a very strong England side. And to be fair, you can't really blame him, given England should have won that tournament and arguably came within a boot of at least getting into the into the final. So Venables was probably justified. And if Wise had been picked, he probably would have been a fringe player. And if there'd been there have been injuries. I can't remember Steve Stone actually playing much as a result. England did have a lot of very good midfielders at that point. Even Darren Anderton was fit for most of that, that tournament. So that, that says something. But I mean, yeah, four memories of that. Wise was a bit unlucky, but uh, I don't think he would have had too many complaints. So um, after that, for the 1996-97 season, Rude Hullett was named as Chelsea player manager. And he was fans' favourite at the time. And his name enough was uh, to sign a host of international players from abroad. The first acquisition was the free transfer of Italian striker Gianluca Viali, who just captained Juventus to the Champions League. Uh, defender Frank Leboeuf signed from Strasbourg for two and a half million, and Roberto Di Matteo joined from Lazio in a club record four point nine million pounds. Paul Furlong's time at the club was up, and he was sold to Birmingham for one and a half million. In pre-season, Chelsea took part in the Umbro Trophy Tournament at the City Ground. Uh, in the semi-finals, they drew 0-0 with Forrest, but went through 4-3 on penalties. And in the final, they played Ajax and won 2-0. Wise opened the scoring after six minutes, and Petrescu scored the other 10 minutes later. The Premier League started with, again, another 0-0 draw, this time against Southampton at the Dale. And a few days later, Chelsea beat Middlesbrough 1-0 with a late strike from Di Matteo. This is the one where there's the iconic goal celebration that was started, where all the players would lie down in a line. Uh, Wisey then kissed him a tail on the cheek and the Blues were off to winning ways. This continued at home to Coventry with goals from Leboeuf and Viali in their first ones for the club. And then next up was Arsenal away and a six-goal thriller. It started when Wise was brought down in the box by Steve Bold. Surprisingly, though, it wasn't actually Wise who took the kick, but Frank Leboeuf. His cool penalty sent John Lukic the wrong way, and Viali made it 2-0 before Paul Merson pulled one back just before half-time. Arsenal then went 3-2 up, courtesy of goals from Martin Keown and Ian Wright. And then in the final minute of the game, John Spencer's clever ball found Wisey on the edge of the box, and his left-foot finish was enough to earn a draw. So, Chris, what do you remember about the start of the 96-97 season? Um, and how do you think Wise may have felt about not being the club's penalty taker anymore? Um, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, I think that again, the excitement of of Hullet taking over, despite the fact he didn't have any managerial or coaching experience, I don't think. I mean, I can, I was at that last game when Hoddle left, and uh, he was obviously he, he got he'd become England manager by that point. I think former club director Matthew Harding had basically tried to give him as much money as he wanted to try and build the squad and keep him. But uh, Hoddle, you know, to be fair, England came calling. You can't deny that, you know, that was, you know, a step up for him. Um, there were lots of people who the rumours going around about George Graham taking over. I think Graham at that point, he was either Leeds manager or he was, I can't remember where he was at that point, but George Graham was obviously associated with Arsenal and their style of play. And OK, he'd been successful, but I can remember the Chelsea fans were very, very anti the idea of George Graham, despite being a former Chelsea player. 
um, taking over as manager. They they wanted the style. They wanted uh, it, that that excitement to continue. And they obviously saw that with 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 Hullet. And I, I can remember thinking personally, I thought Hullet would probably leave. Yeah, you know, if Hoddle's gone, then you know what's he going to stay for? But to be fair, Chelsea it was an act of vision making him manager, and then. On the back of Euro 96, not necessarily that I don't think Viali played for Italy in that tournament. Um, Di Matteo did, um, and I'm assuming Leboeuf played in that tournament for France. I can't remember them, but there was a real sense of excitement. Um, but not just around Chelsea, actually, around the Premier League. Um, Middlesbrough had bought Ravanelli, I think. They, they'd invested in lots of different foreign players, and there was a real buzz about it, you know, how exciting it was. Um, Wise, Wise with the buff was a really good penalty taker. Actually, to be fair, Wise had been a good penalty taker, but clearly Hullet thought um, that he wanted the buff to take it on. What I did find interesting, actually, was obviously Wise was still club captain. He'd obviously convinced Hullet, a guy who'd won the European Cup a few times, he'd won the European Championships with Holland. Um, Wise had convinced Hullet that he should still be. Club captain, as I understand it, um, certainly when the new players started coming in, Wise, uh, I think a more mature Wise at this point, he's what, 28, 29, I think by now. Um, he took it upon himself to start to sort of integrate the players into the club. Him and Steve Clark worked together to make sure that the players were, you know, working and understood their roles, helped them with English at points, that kind of thing. Um, which I don't think people really realise or or understand. Certainly nowadays, you have lots of people doing that for the for the club, you know, club liaison officers, that kind of thing. You wouldn't get the players taking it upon themselves. But no, I think why stepped up. He obviously again saw the improvements in the club, saw the quality coming in, and you know, use it to challenge himself. I'd argue probably wanted to to make himself a better player. So so yeah, you know, great great opportunity to build on it. Thank you. Uh, Chelsea has started to put together an improved side and could be found nearer the top of the table than normal. In the League Cup second round, the Blues played Blackpool over two legs. They won 4-1 away at Bloomfield Road, despite going behind in the first minute. Uh, Dennis Wise was missing for the return leg, where Blackpool took an unthinkable 3-0 lead before John Spencer's goal saw the club through. And then in the next round, they were drawn away at Bolton. On the 22nd of October 1996, Hullet's men travelled to Burnden Park for that game. Scott Minto gave Chelsea the lead after just two minutes, but then John McGinley equalised and Nathan Blake gave the home side the lead just before half-time and the score ended 2-1 and the Blues were knocked out. However, the real tragedy came in the middle of the night when Chelsea director Matthew Harding, as you mentioned earlier, and four others were killed in a helicopter crash. Chelsea's next game was at home to Spurs and there were calls to have the game postponed, but it was decided to go ahead uh, as and many people thought that that's what Harding would have wanted anyway. And the Blues won 3-1 with goals coming from Hullet, a David Lee penalty, despite Wise being on the pitch, and Roberto Di Matteo. Chris, I'm sure we'll cover this at some other time in more detail, but what do you remember about that Harding incident and what can you tell us about, Matthew? Um, it was... It was given as a football club, we've not always helped ourselves with our with our image and our press. But I do remember off after um, Matthew Harding died, you know, for about four or five days, uh, the papers were full of um, stories about him, stories about the 
uh, impact he's had on on Chelsea as a club. He he was only ultimately, as, as you say, and we'll talk about this in more detail other times. He was only ever associated with the club publicly for three years, but I think he'd been obviously following the club for for well over twenty five years. I can remember the night of the the, the League Cup tie. Um, I remember being disappointed they'd gone out. Um, I think Scott Minto kept up his record of every game he ever scored in Chelsea normally lost. Uh, I don't think he ever surpassed that. Actually. Um, and I, the following day, you were just a bit annoyed. I'd, I'd started working at that point. So I was working up in London and I can remember sort of going up on the train and, um, you know, the stories of a helicopter crash. I don't remember it until later that day that they were suddenly saying, well, it's actually Matthew Harding who'd, who'd been killed. Um, I'd actually met him uh the year before that uh the height of um his battles with ken bates over the how the club should sort of proceed its its direction uh and i actually got his autograph as well he signed the back of my um ticket stub for for a match uh i think we shook hands i've lost that ticket stub now god knows where it's gone but that's probably worth quite a bit now. but i mean no the as you say the, the match afterwards after the saturday against tottenham um we were weirdly i was in the harding end that day they'd renamed the the North Stand at the time, they they renamed it the Harding, Matthew Harding Stand. And um, yeah, it was, the Tottenham fans were brilliant that day, very respectful. We didn't have many applauses in those days. It was a perfect minute silence. Uh, the ground beforehand was full with with flowers. There was a uh, just a sort of you know, sea of them in the old forecourt at, at Chelsea. And I can always remember actually being very moved by lots of tributes from different clubs as well. There was a United scarf, I mean, a shirt Liverpool sent something the fans not the clubs you know they, these were fans themselves and that was actually really touching um and the game itself was almost immaterial Tottenham were always on a bit of a bit of a hiding to nothing I suppose they couldn't really win at all but um yeah um Chelsea I think Kevin Hitchcock made a bit of a mistake for Tottenham's equaliser but yeah David Lee I hadn't I'd forgotten David Lee scored a penalty in that match as you say weird one that because I think he broke his leg in that match as well, I think, or someone breaks their leg in that match. And I think it is David Lee. But um, no, I, I think it brought the club together in a strange way. And Wise and Steve Clark as, as vice-captain were sort of key in leading the tributes. But at the time, you know, very, very sad, very sort of raw emotions in a way I don't think I've ever really experienced a football match since, you know, no, people who were there. They were doing the shed end up at that point. And I think the West Stand had reduced capacity. So only about 25,000 in the ground. Um, but yeah, if you were there, uh, you you knew about it. You came out afterwards uh, slightly, uh, yeah, <laughs> in need of sustenance, I think. Well, well, next up was a trip to Old Trafford. Uh, Wise's corner was met by Michael Dubry to put Chelsea 1-0 up. And then Viali made it 2-0 when he latched onto LeBerth's long ball and he nutmegged Peter Schmeichel. David Maple won back for United, but it wasn't enough. And the Blues won 2-1. Less than a week later came the signing of 30-year-old, six Italian striker Gianfranco Zola from Parma for £4.5 million. And the addition of Zola meant the end for John Spencer, who joined QPR for £2.5 million. Hullet had also signed goalkeeper Fordy Grodas from Lillestrom on a free transfer. On the 4th of January, Chelsea played West Brom at Stamford Bridge in the FA Cup third round. Wise scored his first goal since September and made it 1-0 when his right-footed shot from just inside the box uh, beat Paul Critchen. Craig Burley and Zola also scored as the Blues won 3-0. And by this time, Zola had formed quite a partnership with Mark Hughes, which meant that Viali had to take a seat on the bench for many games. 
On the 18th of March, Chelsea hosted Derby in the Premier League. Derby went 1-0 up after 25 minutes with a 40-yard free kick. Uh, but Wise equalised 10 minutes later. Uh, he then ran over to the bench to reveal a vest that said, cheer up, Luca, we love you on it. And then a LeBeouf penalty and a debut goal from youth team product Paul Hughes gave Chelsea a 3-1 win. Next up, Liverpool at home in the FA Cup fourth round. The Blues had beaten them 1-0 on New Year's Day just three weeks earlier. But by now, Liverpool were top of the league and strikers Robbie Fowler and Stan Collymore were in red-hot form. In fact, both men scored to give Liverpool a 2-0 lead at half-time. Pullet then made a sub, bringing on Mark Hughes for Scott Minto, meaning Chelsea had a front three of Hughes, Zola and Viali. All three men scored, including a brace from Viali, and Chelsea won 4-2. Chris, I'd like you to tell us what you remember about this match and how important was Wise to this squad, which had a much larger foreign look about it in the English game. Uh, the game itself still remains the greatest game of football I have ever seen at Stamford Bridge. Um, it's one of those seminal matches, which uh, at the time, given the circumstances, I don't think Liverpool had thrown away a two-goal lead for something like 20-odd years. I mean, there was this ridiculous stat that went back to like the, maybe even like that might have gone back to the 60s. Um, I can remember Chelsea thinking we had a good chance in the Cup again that year. We were playing well. We were higher up in the league. And the game itself, it's again, it's on, I think it was BBC Match of the Day, Sunday afternoon. There was a big, real buzz around it. Liverpool had been, as you say, top of the league. Either they were at that time. They certainly had been just before. And um, we should have been 3-0 down at halftime, if I'm really honest. We played OK in the first half, but Liverpool um, hit them on the break. Um, I think Eddie Newton makes a mistake uh, for one of their goals. They could have been free up just before halftime. And the second half, as you say, bringing on Hughes, Mark Hughes as a United player, you know, former United player, always loved playing against Liverpool. And they just blew him away in the second half. I mean, the, the minute they got to 2-1, Chelsea just upped the ante and um, the atmosphere just, just took over. And Liverpool were shell-shocked. Um, there's a famous, you see the footage, Mark Wright, Liverpool centre-half, is sort of looking at, I think, when Chelsea go 3-2 up or maybe 4-2, Viali with a header. Uh, it was just raw and intense and the crowd were, were so up for it. Um, and it was led by yeah, players likewise, players who likewise who knew how important the cup was. They knew how important the FA Cup was to Chelsea as a trophy, um, how close we'd come with, you know, uh, the, the previous year in the semi-final. And I think he installed that in the in the foreign players. He helped players like Zola. I mean, let's remember, he'd only been at the club for about two and a half months at that point. You know, players like Viali and, and Di Matteo, they didn't take the Cups that seriously abroad. But clearly, you know, um, in this country, uh, in English football, the FA Cup back then was still actually really important. And um, that match, after that match, I always remember thinking they're going to win it this year. I, I naively, um, but for good reason, I just had a feeling, I thought, if they can't win it now, after overcoming you know, uh, Liverpool after being two down, we're never going to win it. And I just had this weird sense of destiny and buzz. And I think I recorded the match and watched it endlessly on VHS tape for forevermore. So there we are. I think um, they actually released it on VHS as they well. They did, didn't they? They released it as Before well. Before Spurs started doing it, we um, we did it first. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, and then you'll remember that uh, we played Leicester in the next round uh, and we controversially beat them to set up a quarter-final tie against Portsmouth. That was in the replay as well, wasn't it? Yeah, right, right in extra time, last minute. Um, they had Casey Keller in goal, Leicester, and I remember being paranoid, thinking he kept us out of the cup against Millwall a couple of seasons ago in a penalty shootout where he'd made a key save. And I can remember thinking at the time, if we come up against him in a penalty shootout, my misplaced confidence about us winning the cup might not be so strong. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, let's just say we got away with one. We did. And then uh, we had Portsmouth in the next round. And again, Chelsea, they well, they eased through that one, 4-1, and Wise scored two of the goals, uh, which set up a semi-final with Wimbledon at Highbury. And on the 13th of April, Chelsea beat them 3-0 when a Hughes brace and a wonder goal from Zola meant that the Blues would be heading back to the FA Cup final. On the final day of the league season, Chelsea played Everson at Goodison Park. Wise opened the scoring with a delicate left-footed chip past Neville Southall. Gordas was then sent off and Kevin Hitchcock came on to replace uh, Viali so he could go in goal. Uh, Chelsea won the match 2-1 and ensured the club's highest ever finish in the Premier League, sitting sixth in the table. On the 17th of May 1997, Chelsea went to Wembley to play the already relegated Middlesbrough. The Blues were the clear favourites and they'd released Blue Day as the official FA Cup final song, featuring members of the current squad alongside Suggs from the band Madness, and it reached number 22 in the UK singles chart. Rood Hullett and Brian Robson led the teams out as their respective managers, followed by their captains. Wise and his men, they looked confident, and there was much anticipation from the Chelsea fans looking to see if they would win their first major silverware since 1971. Referee Steve Lodge blew his whistle as Borough kicked off. They won an early throw in, but they couldn't keep possession as Wise nicked the ball off them. His pass found Roberto Di Matteo in his own half, and he proceeded to run almost the length of the pitch with the ball uh, until his shot from outside the box beat Ben Roberts in the Borough goal after just 43 seconds. Chris, um, I want to know, were you there? What do you remember about this moment? And... That goal, where does it rank in your all-time best Chelsea moments? Um, I, I can say this because my wife's out. It was remains probably the greatest day of my life. You know, sorry, I sorry, darling. Um, obviously getting married and having children. Um, it was my I mean, I've been to Wembley, I've been to Wembley for the Zenith Data Systems Cup, and I'd been there for uh, for the semi-final in 94. But to actually be at a cup final, I didn't make it in 94 for the final. So uh, to actually be there, it was perfect. It was a bright, sunny, gorgeous day. Uh, a group of us drove up from uh, from our house down in Kent. Uh, I think we went along to the bridge first. The atmosphere down down the King's Road and Fulham Road was, uh, was you know, you could reach out and taste it. We drove up to Wembley. Uh, had a few beers in the car park in, in the days when you could, you know. Uh, again, we'd queued up overnight to get cup final tickets. That that was one of those one of those things. I'd gone from work um, in my suit, queued up with my dad and a mate. Uh, me and a mate went and left my dad in the queue to go to the pub. Came back, he moved ten yards. Um, it was about two hours later. Sang happy birthday to someone. I have all these these gorgeous memories. But no, it was yeah. The day itself was perfect. It was everything. An FA Cup final should have been. And um, the goal, I was right behind Di Matteo. I can remember um, we'd sat down. We got there early, so it wasn't like a case. I just sat down and he scored. We'd all settling down and he just went for it. And I can remember even now, 
thinking, oh, good, early sighter, that all good, you know, we'll look good on the telly, we'll just go over the bar. And there was this moment where there's a gap between the crossbar and, and the keeper. And you, I used to think, oh, the ball's going in. <laughs> it's a real moment of complete silence around him before you realise he's scored, you know. And obviously you go absolutely berserk. I mean, it's, it's the best goal ever I've seen. I mean, I have seen probably technically better goals, but goals in finals like that, I mean, that's just, for not even now, I still sort of can't help myself, but sort of like pretend that I'm still 17, 18 years old, whatever, and celebrating. It was a phenomenal goal. And and it, it, it the match itself was actually pretty dull um, and terrifying at points. Um, Chelsea got away with one, I think. The Borough could have got a goal back at offside. It was a bit tight. If VAR had been around these days, who knows? Um, I think Wise kept it with Di Matteo and Zola, they kept it steady. And I think as well, the resolve that they'd shown at that point, um, I think I think Wise says afterwards, actually, him and Steve Clark, you know, the vice-captain, it's time to put everything to bed now. You know, it's time to... 1970, we've heard all that before. It's our turn now to, to sort of, you know, write, write some history for this club. And uh, they did. Uh, and it was brilliant that Eddie Newton got the second goal um, after the 94 final and the, the, uh, the penalty he gave away. You know, there were so many players you wanted to do well in that side who'd, who'd suffered in 94. And, um, yeah, it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I, you know, I can remember now seeing when they brought out the cup and they put it on the, on the stand after the Middlesbrough fan players had got their medals. And you see it with ribbons. Um, yeah, spine tingling. Still, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and um, at the end of that, that season, Wise had played 40 games and he scored six goals. He had 11 yellow cards, but not one red. Uh, but more importantly, he became the first Chelsea captain to win a major trophy at Wembley. And what a great feeling it was. That's the end of Dennis Wise Part 1, covering his Chelsea career from 1990 to the end of the 96-97 season. Look out for Part 2, where we'll be covering the rest of his career with the Blues, including more trophies and the club's first ever Champions League campaign. Thanks for listening to the Chelsea Heritage Podcast with your host Chelsea Chadder. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.